someone came into our churches or into our communities and said, I had an abortion. And we weren't saying why, what happened. And we just said, like, I see you and loved her and hugged her and walked with her in her grief. I think we forget that she's even feeling anything. everybody, Mike Erie here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad you're tuning in. And as always, we're so grateful to be part of your life and your journey. I'm joined by my dear friend, Bonnie Lewis, live from Texas. Hello, Hello. Bonnie. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Are you talking to me in the Trinity at this point? No, I was or? talking to the internet. I want oh, to pretend the that they're answering back in their car. You always say, hello, internet. But I did feel weird. I said, guys, not y'all. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a y'all space, not a guy space. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and although, although my son watches uh, quite a bit of YouTube because he's 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 doing a music sort of career thing. It's it's really oh, kind of nice. awesome. So it's it's um, but everyone starts by what's up, guys? It's so and so. So I've just kind of oh. I've just kind of over like that as an intro to every YouTube video ever. Um, Absolutely. So I like hey everyone. Hello, Internet it was good for the first three years, but I think I think I've matured beyond that. <laughs> so I don't know. Now, now you're more aware of what the Internet is. That yes. Yes. It's hello. <laughs> the small minority of really good people out there. Um, Bonnie, how the heck are you? We we are translating your 22 passages, we got funded there right at the last moment. Oh my and gosh, it was a real nail biter, but it, yeah. it happened. <laughs> yeah, but that's awesome. Yeah, it was really good. I know. Well, and the thing is, like, everyone's like, what are you doing to celebrate? I was like, nothing. I have to get writing. I have to do this. I have to exactly. actually do it now. Yes. We'll celebrate when it's done. The Life of a Bible Translator by Bonnie Lewis. There you go. Now, Bonnie, <laughs> for those of you that are new to the podcast, Bonnie has been... Uh, a, a guest on our uh, podcast since, man, the very, very beginning. Um, we've mm -hmm. talked about uh, lots of of different issues, lament and grief and women in ministry and all sorts of things. Today, uh, because I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about the, you know, the, the, the really complex issue of abortion, and, and that was in the news a couple of weeks ago, pretty pretty heavily. And so we've taken a bit of time to go through some stuff, but I, I really, I wanted to hear your perspective as a theologian and obviously as a woman, as a mom, but then I, I know, you know, there's a, a super sad part of your story mm -hmm. that, um, that I've heard. And I know, I know some of our listeners have heard, but if you would, uh, kind of start there, I think yeah. that, that would help sort of frame, our further conversation around the issue, because for me with Seth, this isn't an issue thing. This is like, there's a directly relatable part to this, even as a man. Um, right. But for you, I think there's a, a much more difficult thing you had to go through. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a really good way of putting it. So um, I have two, two children. Um, one is eight and then the other one is two. But um, <clears throat> my first pregnancy with Chip, that's my son who's a, he, it was totally textbook normal. It's fine. Um, there was no problems, nothing to worry about. Um, it was fine. So when he was around three-ish, I think, uh, we decided we wanted to try for number two. And we got pregnant very quickly. And we were very excited. Um, and so I just really went into it assuming that it would be the same as my pregnancy with chip because why wouldn't you um right and everything was okay at first we had a preliminary ultrasound at like nine or ten weeks and everything looked okay i mean as much as you can see at nine or ten weeks um but the as time went on i was a little concerned just knowing me and my body but then my doctor was a little concerned knowing just pregnancies in general hmm. and i wasn't my stomach wasn't getting bigger the way it should be. So right around 20 weeks, right before we hit 20 weeks, um, I remember, and this is like an odd thing, but if you're a woman and you've been pregnant, you'll know, um, my genes still fit fine. And for me, we're not talking about your DNA. We're talking about, <laughs> yeah, like my actual denim pants. Yes. Sorry. Just to clarify. <laughs> still button. And, um, as the way I carry children, that's not 
normal for me, but also yeah. around 20 weeks, like <clears throat> the baby has grown substantially in size. I mean, he's, he or she is halfway there. And, and so you're probably moving on out of your normal daily clothes. And so, but at the same time, everyone was just like, well, you've had morning sickness and everybody's different and every pregnancy is different, every baby. So it was just mm -hmm. kind of one of those things. And so, um, we had gone on a trip actually to, we lived in Colorado at the time. We went on a trip to California and everything seemed to be fine except for my son got sick while we were there. And so he woke up in the middle of the night one night screaming. And so I kind of sat up very suddenly out of bed. And when I did, the baby kicked me um, inwardly, almost like I got punched in the stomach. And it was mm. such a swift and hard and forceful kick that it kind of knocked the wind out of me. And I remember thinking that's not right. Like that didn't feel just like a baby kick, like something that felt like something was the matter. Mm. Um, and I remember telling my husband and being really worried and freaked out. But again, oh, man, 20 man. weeks, like it's, you don't, you don't feel the baby very much. So it's, it's hard to tell, like, could he just been moving? You know, it's, it's just one of those things. So we got home um, a few days later, but I just could not shake this feeling something that something was wrong. And I, mm. it just kept kind of coming and I, I knew that something wasn't right. And so I said to my husband, I think something, um, isn't going well here. And he's like, well, you know, I'm sure you're just tired from traveling. Um, you know, we can go and get it checked out if you want, but we have our, we had our 20 week ultrasound in just a few days. And so we were both just kind of like, we can wait and see. So that was a Thursday, I remember. Hmm. And we had our, I think our 20 week ultrasound due um, on the following Tuesday. So it was, it was just, in a, just over the weekend. Yeah, but and that's so still a long time living in that <laughs> yes. sort of awfulness. It is. But I will say like, I, I am a, and I believe this to be true and I'm better now. Um, I'm a worrier. Like I worry all the time and I have anxiety. And so I just... I can sometimes go, okay, maybe that's not, that's not correct. From this experience, I've really a, been able to learn, and we can talk more about this too, but the difference between a feeling of worry and a feeling of this isn't right, hmm. but it's not the same as an anxious feeling. Hmm. So like now I can differentiate, but this is one of the first times that I ever kind of came up against that. And so I didn't really know the difference. Um, and so I just kind of was like, yeah, maybe we can, we can wait it out. But over the next day or two, I just Googled like, and researched like, well, what happens? Like what oh, happens if man. we get to the ultrasound oh. and the baby's not alive? Cause at, before, you know, 13 weeks, if you lose a baby, you miscarry the baby, mm. your body usually will miscarry naturally. Sometimes the body needs help. But past that, the baby is uh, substantial in size. And so your body doesn't pass a baby the same way as for a medical term, the same way that they say would happen earlier in the pregnancy. And so mm. I just remember researching that, but I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't want to cause anyone worry, and I, but I wanted to be mentally prepared, like if this is what yeah. I think has happened. And so we went to uh, church that Sunday. And my husband was leading worship and Chip was sitting with me and he had to go to the bathroom. So we went to the bathroom and I, um, I was bleeding to be mm. like, just totally frank. And mm. that's a no, no in pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, um, I just like freaked out and mm. I, I like just waited till the song was done. And then like, I just like ran up there and was like, sigh, sigh. Oh my gosh. And I'm just bawling. I mean, I'm, just in hysterics and he's like oh, okay yeah. what is it so like i mean of course so i call the the doctor and she you know she's on it's the weekend so she calls me back and she says just wait just go home and rest like it's probably fine mm. you don't have nothing to worry about we'll check it out at your ultrasound on tuesday and so i was like okay so i hung up the phone and my husband's like it's your it's totally your choice like what mm. do you want to do and i was like there's no way i'm going home and waiting yeah. <laughs> like so yeah. I checked myself. We went to the ER and as we're walking into the ER, I turned to Sai and I said, um, I said, This is terrible because if the baby has passed, I, I have to labor and deliver this oh, this baby. Um and he like looked at me like 
I had totally lost my mind. Hmm. And it was like at that moment, I realized like, oh, I have men- been mentally preparing for this. Or I look back now and I really think it was the Holy Spirit per- preparing me for this. But for him, it was brand. He had like not even thought of it. He had no kind of even framework for it. And so hmm. we went into the hospital and, you know, she came, the tech came and she did the ultrasound and hmm. I like started to look at the screen and like, I, I can see it. And she does the thing that you're supposed to measure the heartbeat and it's just a solid line. And I am, um, she just kind of puts her instruments down and she, you know, the worst thing you can hear, she doesn't say anything to you. She just says, um, I'm going to go, I'm, I need to go get the doctor. Oh, man. And I just turned to sigh and I just start bawling. And I just was like, I knew it. I knew it. And for me, like it was this moment of like, I, I was right and I knew it and I know what's coming. And for him, it was like jumping into a pool of ice water. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just like, wait, what? You knew what? Like, what's going on? Are you sure? And so the doctor came in and just said, like, we look for heartbeat and we look for fetal movement and um, your baby isn't showing either of those. Mm-hmm. And it was just this, um, like, it was such a weird thing because then the next thing out of their mouths and they were very kind, but the next thing out of their mouths were like, okay, so here's what you can do. And it was just very, Jeez. you know, um, you can do this, you can do this, do this. And so the choices we were presented with were, um, you can labor and deliver your baby, or you can get, go somewhere else and get, um, what they call a DNC. <clears throat> and it's basically where they remove, they put, would put the mom, to um, sleep and then they remove the baby from her womb. Uh, But she did say, she said, if you choose to go the DNC route, your baby will not be intact. Um, And so we had, we had so many questions like, is one more dangerous? Put me at any risk. Um, Are you sure the baby isn't alive? You know, like what, like, can we double check, you know, all these different things. And so, for me at the time, and I often have thought if I know now what I know, I mean, if I knew then what I know now, would I have still chosen this route? And I don't know because I chose um, to labor and deliver. And so from at the time, the reason why I chose it is because I, one of the things that immediately hit me was that I felt sad that I would never be able to parent this child. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was a way that I could parent him and that we could mm. parent him. And, and I also wanted to see him and I wanted mm. to hold him. And actually, we didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl. We didn't find that out until after I um, delivered. But and so um, we decided we would we would that that's the course we would take. And so they immediately admitted us and they just said, base your baby's actually uh, measuring small which I knew was the case, obviously. And so um, she said, but he's been passed for, you know, three or four weeks, we we believe. And so the delivery will be very, very quickly, very quick. And I said, you know, I I just like, I just disagree because I just felt him kick. Like we were in California, you know, five days before that. And um, she had said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's medically, that's not true. And Mm. I was just like, well, I guess we'll just see because right, <laughs> right. it was just one of those things. Like I'm literally staring at this medical professional and I'm not saying that she's wrong, but also I'm the mom and I know my body and yeah. I know my baby. And so I was just like, okay. And so she said, you know, you won't, um, <clears throat> it'll be so fast because the baby has been passed for so long. You won't have any contractions. Um, will induce you and it shouldn't be more than 12 hours total. You won't have to push like you would if you're delivering a full-term baby. Um, it'll be very quick. And then you can decide if you want to see or hold the baby or, or what you want to do. And um, the other thing she said that I was, they were very great at preparing me for what I would see and hear mm. to help me sort of make, um, make a decision. And so the thing she said is she said, um, your baby's not going to come out plump and, you know, uh, peachy skin or whatever. The baby will be very tiny, um, but also the baby's skin will be purple. 
Mm. And I was like, so grateful to know that. And she said, and she also said, think about or imagine what it was like when your first son was born and he came out and everyone cheered. And I was like, yeah, of course. And she's like, it's not going to be like that. Um, It's going to be silent. Mm. You're not going to get visitors. It was just weird. And I was so grateful that she's like prepared me for all of the different layers of like mental and emotional things that were going to be hitting us because I wouldn't have thought of those things at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so they induced me. Well, they ended up having to induce me um, six times. Oh, it was a man. 30, yeah, I was awful. And they don't, they can't induce you the same way like you do in a third trimester. Your body actually doesn't respond to Pictosin until your third trimester. Mm. So they have to induce you other ways that are oh. very painful and intrusive. Oh, and it was no, six no. times this is happening. And um, it was it was awful. Oh, it was a 36 hour labor. I felt all of the contractions just as you would um, oh. and as I had. And um, this nurse came in and she said, do you want to get an epidural? And I said, no, I don't. Um, I don't want one. And she just said, and I've like used this as like a metaphor for, <laughs> she said to me, she said, you know, there will be layers of hurt and pain emotionally and spiritually. And so if you can take away a layer of physical pain, I would advise doing that. Hmm. And I just remember thinking like, this woman has sat with women who have done this. So hmm. I'm just going to take her word, <laughs> word for wow. it. Yeah. And so I, did I got an epidural and I was grateful I did because I didn't I was just one realm I didn't have to think of um, mm-hmm. as we kind of finished out the labor and then I did have to I did have to push just like you would with oh, um, why, a full why, term. why was the doctor so off so I guess what well, so what had happened was once he came out they said um, do you want to do a biopsy do you want to like you can send the baby basically to a lab and they'll tell you if there was something wrong with like a chromosome and I was like no because it doesn't doesn't put any bearing like on anything for me. So no. Um, but what had happened was, is the cord, the umbilical cord had tied a knot, which actually happens, they say to like 30% of babies, but it stays super loose, like a pretzel, like a giant pretzel does. Mm. But his was super tight, like a shoelace. Mm. And she said that um, <clears throat> they thought that he was small because he had passed. And so he had stopped growing. But then once I delivered him, they said, oh, what had happened was the knot caused him not to get enough nutrients. And so she said he instinctually moved to try to fix that. And it wrapped around his neck twice. And that's oh, ultimately my goodness. what what killed him. And so, um, and so that was, it was a weird moment too, because you're like, am I glad to know this? Right. Would have been better to have no idea. Yeah. Um, it was just this weird, um, this weird thing. And so we did end up holding him. Um, and he was very tiny. I mean, he was measured about 16 weeks. So he fit into the palm of my husband's hand. Like just, mm. he was very mm. small. And one of the things that shocked me that was, I just didn't, wasn't prepared for it was, you could see like literally every single bone, like the collarbones wow. and the, like it was, I was just like staring in awe. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. Like it was so amazing. Like this moment of utter grief and like you're horrified, but I was also like so shocked because it was like looking into God's like work in progress. Mm. Like it was crazy. It was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, like every little bone and his his facial features, like you could tell he was going to look like me. Even the doctor was like, oh, he looks like you, which is crazy because he's not fully developed. It was nuts. And so um, we, um, and then we ended up, we decided to cremate him. And then we ultimately ended up um, spreading his ashes. But that was a real, um, turning point for a lot of things for us just in terms Mm. of our faith but also in terms of me as a mom and like trusting my own instincts and my own body and that becoming important on a different level and so so there was a lot that went into it and so what was one of the things the doctor said to me is she said I apologize because you wanted to come in and I told you you said you thought something was wrong I told you it wasn't you wanted to come in I told you not to 
I said, the baby had passed a while ago and you knew when he had. And she was like, and so if there's one thing I can tell you from this, and she was like, people, women have extremely good instincts about what their baby needs or what is wrong or what isn't wrong. And we don't always follow them because we're mm. embarrassed and we don't want to put someone out. And she was like, but this is a really good example of mm. that you were right. It went against medically everything I knew to be right, but mm. you knew better. Um, and so wow. that was just a really interesting um, turning point for me and kind of empowered me just like as a mom in a different way going forward. Yeah. But, now, um, now, what do you know years later that you didn't know then mm-hmm. that, that would either cause you to rethink this or you'd reference it earlier in your story if right. when you made that decision, mm-hmm. um, what do you know now that would have, would have come in handy then? Yeah, I just think, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm um, so sorry. And if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to. No, 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 no. This is good. And I think it's good for me. But I also think people like should hear these things. Um, and I also want to say that people asking about him is the way that you don't feel like he was forgotten. You know, uh, yeah. like his story lives on that way by me telling this, just as I would tell you a story about something silly my kids did. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the, as much as it was like this moment of awe, like looking like that felt like an out of body experience to see everything in place uh, on this tiny, tiny baby that was still forming the, um, like as beautiful as it was to hold him and to see that and to be able to like give a proper goodbye. Mm -hmm. It was also like the most devastating and like heart-wrenching, awful, terrible thing I've ever had to do. I can't um, imagine. Yeah. And I think even just as a woman delivering a baby that is dead, um, that in and of itself was actually even worse mm. than seeing him not moving because it's this um, – it's this thing that is a, a part of you. Um, even if you've never done it, you're just, you were literally just designed to do it. Mm -hmm. And so to give, to do all the motions that bring about life, but Mm -hmm. then it's brought about death is a weird place to be in. And it's, um, really gut wrenching and devastating on a level that I didn't expect it to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really thought I'd go into autopilot kind of, but that didn't happen. (laughs) And so um, I think that that is tough because it um, added a different layer. And so I often wonder, like, if I was faced with that again, would I would I go through that grief again? And I, I don't know if I would. I at least now I feel like I have the tools to weigh it. You know what I mean? Like I was kind of blindsided before, but. Well, yeah, no kidding. You know, and so it is different now. So like one of the things that got me out of bed before and and sometimes still now when I'm hit with like PTSD or anxiety or anything is um, days after the birth when I returned home, I remember just being like, I don't want to get out of bed for like maybe Mm. a year after. And I remember saying and thinking like it's not fair for chip to also lose a mom Hmm. and so that is another piece to the puzzle that i would put in there now is like well now i have two children and i need that need me and i need to be there for and i know what it does to me or what it did to me last time and so do i want to put us all through that again kind of thing so you know yeah that's, I guess, what I was referencing. Um, oh, for sure. It's just hard. Yeah. Oh, I can't. I mean, Bonnie. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine. You know, my wife demonstrated the same mystical power in connection with what was going on. And I just think it's God. I mean, we just can't. There's nothing. There's yeah. nothing conceivably in our experience that, that can understand that. When yeah. you when yeah. when you then take that experience and have conversations about a big hot political issue, 
how has how has that um how has that formed and shaped your view of the yeah. issue of abortion <clears throat> yeah so i think prior to that experience um i only thought of abortion being about the baby now i think it's about the baby and it's also about the mom hmm. and so um it's not like the woman goes in to have an abortion and she comes out unscathed. Mm. And so before I didn't think of that at all. I didn't mm. even, didn't even come in. And I knew people that had abortions and I saw them struggle with depression after it or guilt or whatever. And I could never really understand that. So I was like, well, you chose this. So I don't, I don't understand why that, you know what I mean? Like it mm -hmm. didn't sit with me. And so now I realize that there's a whole layer of um, a life that the woman was leading or is leading or is nervous about leading or whatever that goes into that decision, um, how hard it is, no matter, even if she does decide it, what it does to her as a person post the post the abortion what it does to her for the rest of her life how she carries that with her um and so it's tough now because now i see it as such a bigger issue than i ever saw it before mm -hmm. um in terms of going okay looking at the woman as a whole and saying what can i do from the starting line to support her um so that my support doesn't come at the end of this thing. Like, is there anything I can do up front? Mm -hmm. um, whether that be, <clears throat> you know, just better sex education or <laughs> better, um, you know, better birth control or more affordable options or wh whatever it is that like, because abortion doesn't just wake up and happen. Do you know what I'm right. saying? Like it's a series of mm -hmm. um, events and thoughts that this woman has gone through. And so for me, it really put life back into the conversation in terms of, Hey, it's not just, it is the baby. Um, but it also is the mom. And it is like, are we taking care of her post-abortion mm -hmm. as we say, we want to take care of her baby. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. So it's not just, so you're yeah. saying, to be pro-life isn't just to care about the life of the baby and whether that baby comes to term. Mm -hmm. It's to care about the life of the mother, even if she chooses. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, and I think especially in the Christian community, you know, one of the reasons why that even though none of that was my fault, I was terrified that it would be pinned as my fault for a long time. Really? And so I can only, yeah, just because, oh, wow. um, just because I don't know, I haven't been in, I've been in some unkind church circles, but also because just as a woman in general, when it comes, you carry weight on your own self. So sometimes you can just be worried. Like are other people putting that same thing on me mm. that I'm putting on myself? Um, but so I can only imagine that if you are a woman and you chose um, to abort your baby for whatever reason it was, um, and then on the other side of that, there isn't any help. There isn't any resources. There isn't any kindness. There isn't any um, people bringing meals and the same things that were afforded to me in my situation. Like that's what got me through. And so I do think that if we're going to say we're pro-life, we are pro-life to the baby, but to the mom up front and behind whatever it is that she decides, decides to do because she, um, I know a lot of people have had abortion that have never told a soul um, mm -hmm. because they're terrified of it. And so because of that, they have walked with it for 20, 30 years and it mm -hmm. has ruined them and eaten away. And I just think, gosh, what if someone came into our churches or into our communities and said, I had an abortion and we weren't saying why, what happened? And we just said, like, I see you and loved her and hugged her and walked with her in her grief. Um, I think we forget that she's even feeling anything. How 
to you. So the so the email I got that kicked all this off Ooh, was, okay. uh, hey, what's your view of abortion? <laughs> and you know what's it, funny is that that's what you text me. That's hey, right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. I texted you right after that. I'm like, hey, Bonnie. Um, yeah. Uh, and and what's your view of abortion? And how would you counsel somebody? who's kind of going through a decision like that. So I spent a couple episodes uh, trying to answer that question right. in my overly verbose way. What, you know, so, so what would you say as a, as a theologian, as a woman, as a mom, as, as a mom who has three children, you know, two, mm -hmm. two of which are, are, um, are with you in a, in a different way. Yeah. Uh, then the third one is, how, you know, what would you, how would you answer those questions? Yeah. I think theologically speaking, um, I think we have, I think it's tough. I think theologically, you know, I believe that life begins at conception and um, I would probably come at it with um, a discussion about the soul and, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, those sort of things. Um and just talk about, you know, the things that, you know, we've all heard, like all life is precious or whatever, but I don't think I'd have that conversation um, without asserting that her life was also precious. And what I believe to be true about anybody on the outside, like whether mm -hmm. it be her, um, you know, refugees, immigrant, like all this whole group of people where I, I do believe like, you know, you and I were just talking about this, but like womb to tomb that like the pro-life should cover this whole gamut of areas, not just mm -hmm. a baby. And so I think that I would just say that and discuss that. Um, I would also really, really, um, I would tell her my story. I would just mm -hmm. tell her, this is what the aftermath is like. Um, mm -hmm. And this, and not in a way that it was shaming, but to say like, I just want to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. um, because if I could have... And I've actually given someone that counsel, not somebody that um, was in, wanted to abort her baby, but somebody who had found out that her baby was not going to live mm -hmm. outside the mm -hmm. womb. Mm -hmm. And she just said, she basically, and I was so proud of her, she reached out and she just said, like, what was it like? I want to mm -hmm. know what it was like. And I was like, that's such a good question because I think that you don't, you can't, who could, you can't conceive of what no. that what that would be like. And so I would, I would tell her my story. I would encourage her to maybe talk to other people. Um, and then I would just ask to hear her story. I think that's such a big component. Like I probably would start with that mm -hmm. um, and say like, Hey, let, let me hear, like, what is it? Like, where are you coming from? Who are you? You know, what, what is it? And just get, cause I think sometimes in my experience of people that I've talked with that have, um, had an abortion or almost had an abortion is that there are some layers of the story they've just never said out loud. Yeah. And so to say it out loud gives clarity either one way or another. Um, but I think is essential. So um, I definitely would say would do that and then ask her like why abortion versus adoption? Mm -hmm. um, what, you know, what about that? And so I think I would spend a long time with her, but um, yeah, make it clear that, and I believe this is true, that her life is just as important as the baby's, but also that like our conversations don't end here, no matter what route you take, mm -hmm. that whatever you decide, like I'm with you and, and we'll walk with you, whatever you decide and whatever ramifications that have, because I, I do believe that if we're going to say we're pro-life and we believe life is valuable, then that is a huge spectrum. And we need to cover that with our words and our actions, Come you know, on. preach, <laughs> preach sister. Now, now part of that, of course, uh, at least, at least for a lot of us is access to birth control. I brought that up and I got this email. I'd love your, so I have two questions. I'd love your take on and, um, and, and, uh, so this one, this, this, okay. Listen to this intro paragraph, Bonnie. This okay. is, oh, this there's is the a paragraph. <laughs> oh no, there's two paragraphs total, but okay. the intro paragraph is, is freaking awesome. 
I've recently become a listener of the podcast. Quite frankly, I really don't like listening to the podcast most weeks, <laughs> which is exactly why I have continued listening. How I great is that? From what I that can tell, awesome. we have very different political and economic views. However, you often bring a very open perspective to topics that are not discussed and often very divisive. Well, thank I mean, so how great, yeah. what a great compliment is that? Yeah. That's Love awesome. It. So whoever this person is, thank you. Um, that is that is fantastic. Now, then the question. Uh, in the latest podcast, all right, the one that I did prior to this about infanticide and abortion, you spoke very briefly about birth control and its availability. Mm -hmm. I am most definitely pro-life. I've also slowly come to the position that we should do everything we can to promote access to birth control if it prevents abortions. However, my great moral qualm with this approach is the fact that it can be seen as a promotion of sinful practices, i.e. premarital sex and all things that come along with that. By promoting birth control as Christians, are we promoting sinful practices in place of other sinful practices like abortion? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, interesting. In, right? Yeah. So so you want to take a crack at that one? Uh, sure. So um, <clears throat> I would so say... Are we, are we promoting... I'm sorry, just to clarify. Are we promoting sin by advocating access to, to birth control? No, I don't think so. I think if we are advocating access to birth control, we're just, we don't have our head in the sand. <laughs> I think we're just saying like, um, hey, the, we are people with hormones and this, this happens. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I do think that. Um, the other thing is, and so I, I don't think you're promoting you're, you're promoting sin there. My, my problem with that logic and not with that person or this question, but the logic in general is that if we, if we pretended like we didn't need birth control, well, first of all, we're assuming that everybody having premarital sex is a Christian or is not a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like we're kind of putting them into this small camp saying like, okay, if we, if we say we're promoting that, then, you know, we're saying it's fine to have premarital sex. Well, regardless of where you stand on that, my question then to you would go, okay, so what if? What if it's your kid? What if it's your sister? What if it's your neighbor having premarital sex? Like what would be your face-to-face -face response to that? Would you mm -hmm. rather them be protected and you walk through them and you talk to them and you figure out something or whatever? Or would you go like, hey, you're on your own? You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And then mm -hmm. they get in a situation and then you're like, well, I'm, they definitely won't come to you because you've already said like, hey, you're on your own. So mm -hmm. it's my personal view that no, we don't. But at the same time, I um, studies show that access to birth control is the actually the only thing that does reduce abortion rates. And so it's tough for me because even if we did say, okay, I, I see what she's saying or he is saying about promoting premarital mm -hmm. sex, mm -hmm. I guess you have to choose the lesser of two evils there. <laughs> if it's the only thing that is statistically shown to reduce abortion rates, and if we are pro-life, and that, I basically like, what hill are we choosing, are we going to choose to die on right. there? I right. guess is my answer. That was a, not a very... Um, polished answer <laughs> no well you're you're just hearing just it. what i thought you're of, just yeah. hearing no you're just hearing all this bonnie no this listen polish we're not after polish bonnie That's if, good. If, if true i would not be hosting <laughs> um i always think you know i of i kind of um i, I get the questioner's point like the, uh -huh. the the logic hey they're gonna do it anyway so just have them do it safely Obviously, that oh. falls short of many ideals, right? I mean, if you're, right, right. hey, they're going to shoot up meth anyway, so give them clean needles. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I, so that's a legitimate question, even if you're not religious, right? For health policy right. and so on. If you're, if, if, if I were coming at it from a Christian perspective, I would say, okay, first of all, my job as a Jesus follower is to moat the flourishing of human persons. Now, obviously, I think human persons flourish best when they become students of this Jesus and, you know, all, right. all that goes with that. Right. 
But um, as a, as a, so if I'm having a discipleship conversation about birth control, that's different mm-hmm. than I'm, if I'm having right. a, a policy conversation about birth control. Yeah. And yeah. it's clear Agreed. in the Old Testament that God mm-hmm. was completely willing to work with humanity in suboptimal condition. Yeah. Right. So clearly, hey, one man, one woman. Oh, and then all the great heroes of faith have many have many wives, you know, and and, and it's like, right. And it's not God's not up there cheering it on. But but there there certainly is a willingness to deal with humanity in suboptimal conditions and hardness of heart and so on. And so so my argument for this would be, hey. If we're having a discipleship conversation, that's one thing. But if I'm talking about public policy for people, for the vast majority of people who are not Jesus followers, nor would they share our suppositions about sexuality, and even mm-hmm. those, the way they've been classically modeled in purity culture, are suspect. You know, yeah. it's one it's one of those things where I'd be like, no, I think I think that in this case, we're not promoting sin. We're simply working with suboptimal conditions. We are in a sexually drenched culture. Uh, People are getting married later. And parents, quite frankly, don't teach their kids anything about sexuality. Right. And so in those circumstances, if I had to choose between someone learning about birth control and someone uh, having see or seeing abortion as the last form of contraception, then clearly, clearly we go with the, the birth control route. Well, so, and uh, let me add to that, too, because I think it. what you said was really poignant there is that how many discipleship conversations and maybe you could say, like, what what you would do here might be different than what I would do here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've had discipleship conversations of women saying to me um, <clears throat> a few things. Number one, I'm going to get married. I, I don't think I love him. And um, I, I don't think. You know, he treats me well, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to get married to have sex. And mm. I'm like, yeah, that's not, no, <laughs> you should really not does, do that. So that's it. It's the whole, it's better to marry than to burn line from Paul that they, they use in that yes. way of thinking. The and guy's not healthy. The relationship's not healthy, but hey. We should get married because, and I'm like, no, no, wow. no. Wow. And, yeah. And like, I don't promote premarital sex, but I for sure in that situation, don't promote a life <laughs> like married to somebody that you don't love with, that you're not in love with, that doesn't love you, that doesn't treat you well, that doesn't, oh, right? Yeah. So there's Boy, that. that's awful, yeah. And then uh, I think that we actually, we also are, <clears throat> there are some women who, regardless of what they believe, um, live in a real situation where they fear that they will or they have been because of where they live, their socioeconomic status, whatever mm-hmm, it is, their mm-hmm. job raped. Mm-hmm. And in, there's a lot of abortion cases that are because women have been raped. And so in that case, yes, I think you should yeah. definitely take birth control and it should be affordable so that you can have it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like I think mm-hmm. we would be naive to think that it's just a bunch of upper middle class women, like having a bunch of premarital sex and then going, Oh, whoops, you know <laughs> Boy, what I mean? Because yeah, yeah it doesn't not. seem that way. No, yeah. no, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah. And, and those are situations. I mean, the scriptures, I don't think ever, obviously God knew what was coming, but you know, they, they, if you're looking for rules for every possible iteration or scenario, you're just going to be really disappointed yeah, and, you're not, um, not going to find them. No, and so so we have to do this this thing we do: listening to the Spirit, submitting to the Scripture, you know, walking in community, respecting the other person's story. Right. So that's that's good. I've never had those conversations. I have them on the guy side, right? Right, which is not nearly as complex. It's just, well, you know, uh, I don't. Right. I think it's unfair that God would ask me to wait. Right. And you're right. like, okay, well. Boy, well, wait, till, wait till you get married. Wait till you get married, my friend. <laughs> exactly. All right. You got time for one more, Bonnie? Yes, I got that time. Was good. This is just great to hear mm-hmm. your perspective on this stuff. Um, so this is uh, about uh, protesters. So this is oh, a very okay. interesting, interesting question. And, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of similar logic. The punchline is, hey, if our protests 
saved one uh, life, but okay. but shamed or embarrassed 10 other women, is that trade-off worth it? So let me give you his full question, but that's the punchline. Okay. <laughs> uh, as I agree with you and find absolute beauty in the early church's response to abortion, yet... It seemed as if you were low-key dismissing the practice of protesting or any, quote, louder version of opposing abortion. I think these two can be married, and I've seen it done in multiple occasions, in which the protester offered to adopt the person's baby that they were about to abort and followed through with the adoption. I'm wondering if when it comes to saving the life of those who bear the image of God, whatever pragmatic approach within reason should be pursued. If me going to protest 10 times only saves one life of the baby, but shames 10 other women, is that worth it? Now that, that's a great question. That is a great question. So it seems like there are two, and, and, and I just want to clarify. Yeah, so when I was talking about the early church's response, one of the points I was making is they didn't hold political rallies, they didn't protest Caesar, they didn't, oh, okay. and again, they weren't, they, and obviously they weren't in a democracy, yeah. and I, I get all of that. But I was really highlighting that what changed the Roman Empire was the simple fact that they went to where the kids were exposed, and they adopted them, and they baptized them, and mm-hmm. if, they, if they, they died soon after, they buried them in a Christian burial. I mean, they're burial mm-hmm. sites where we have their, like, the majority are infants, and they're all Christian, they're all Christian symbolized, you know, right. around the burial site. So there, I mean, and, and, and my point was, hey... Um, we've made this a political issue, but if you make it a kingdom issue, do you open yourself up to possibilities of activism that we haven't yet fully considered? So a very uh-huh. legitimate pushback was, why can't you do both? Can uh-huh. you marry louder forms of opposition? So that's one question. And then the other question is, hypothetically, let's say you saved one baby, one image bearer, but shame 10. Is that still worth it? So phenomenal so i love i mean i love this is the best part of podcasting bonnie is is interacting with stuff like this so you want to take a crack at it hold on first of all do you think by clarification do you think by shaming do you think they are we assuming then that those 10 that they this person shamed still went through on the abortion like that yes i would read the question that we're gonna assume Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I, I think the person's anticipating the following analogy. Okay. Uh, say I'm trying to spread the message of Jesus mm-hmm. and I stand on a street corner and yell. And one person says, and, and I, and I, I, I preach the gospel. In other words, the words are, the words are partially true, but I'm right. angry. I mean, I'm, I'm yelling, I'm pro whatever. And, um, but, but one person comes to sincere Jesus following because of it, isn't that worth it? So I think, I think this person is anticipating that sort of comeback, which is exactly where I would go immediately by then saying, well, okay, so let's say we shamed them. They were uncomfortable. They still had the abortion, but we saved one. Isn't that worth it? it? Does that make sense? Yes, I um yeah, I need to kind of think for a second. Do you want to go first? As long as I'm not mansplaining, I <laughs> yeah. will and I'm buying you time. It's like ordering first in a restaurant. I would be You're, glad to I'd yeah. be glad to pour uh, throw some thoughts. I so, am here you to say you are not mansplaining anything. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I've got um <laughs> Uh, I, I think one of the things that occurs to me right right out of the gate is um, that that we only do Jesus's work when we do Jesus's work Jesus's way, and yeah. if and, and so so this this line of thinking assumes that we can separate the means and the ends, right? They, they even say. Um, if I'm wondering if it, when it comes to saving the life of those who bear the image of God, whatever pragmatic approach within reason should be pursued. So the idea is as long as the end saving an image bear bearing child, um, whatever means we use to that end can be justified. Now he, now he's not saying that it is, he's just saying, well, you know, could you say that it is my response to that is in the kingdom we do are not given permission to separate the ends and the means. In other words, if we're proclaiming the gospel, but do it without love, we're not proclaiming the gospel. 
if mm-hmm. if we are um, uh, you know, worshiping with our mouths um, and checking off the church attendance box, but our hearts are very distant and cold, uh, we haven't really worshipped, right? I mean, there's this there's right. this sense even in social <laughs> activism where if if love of neighbor isn't what's driving us, then it isn't love of neighbor that we're doing, right? You can't separate that. So the idea that that I would be shaming in whatever way, shape, or form 10 people on the way to rescue one, is that something that I see congruent with the practices of Jesus? In other words, I, I think Jesus would very clearly, and the early church understood him thusly, to be on the side of, of life whenever the ancient Jews thought that life happened. But, but I, I, I don't see him playing this utilitarian game that street evangelists use or that could be used in this situation where for the sake of one, I, I, I can justify doing anything to anybody. I don't think oh, the kingdom yeah. I don't think the kingdom works that way. Right. right so right, right. so could you protest in a way that's Jesus like? Sure. I can I can imagine that you do, but in a highly politicized issue like this, I don't think more I don't think louder protesting is what's needed, right? right. All the protests have been out there. It's it's uh, I don't know I don't know what louder protesting gets us. Now the counter to what I just said is yeah, but we've actually rescued some some infants, fantastic. Mm-hmm. But do you have to shame the women going into the clinics to make that happen? Right. You know, is, is it possible to do that in ways without, that, that, yeah, go, go, go. No, I just going to say, is it possible to do that in ways that maybe you end up making a difference in more than one? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. yeah, I didn't interrupt you. No, 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 <laughs> no <laughs> I'm interrupting at all. I'm worried that thought. I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just worried I was talking too much. And, 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 and I'm a verbal processor, so sometimes I'm thinking out loud. Because, right. because of course we, we want to save every life, but, right. uh, and, and no question, but I, I can't, I just can't separate means and ends in the kingdom. And anytime you do that, I just see the most horrendous stuff done in the name of Jesus that right. is actually hurt and harmed more than it's helped. Mm-hmm. So if to save one infant, I have to harm 100 women, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, it is. That's, a, that's pretty tough math. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know. Well, and I think, you know, I think, I think you're spot on there. I think that you can't exactly what you said. I, I don't think you can separate those things, two things. And when we do, we get into trouble. Um, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. If, hmm. if you don't believe that being pro-life has anything to do with the woman, mm-hmm. then it probably is worth it for you. If it's only oh, about the good, baby. good, good. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that, that is, that math does work out in that favor. Right. Um, if you believe it's a more robust definition, then you'd have to think about it more and decide what you think. Now, what's interesting here is the thing, the verse that came to mind that I'm sure people think of. Um, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not assuming I'm trying my best to put myself in the mindset of somebody that would be protesting like this is that, yeah. uh, you know, it's the parable, <clears throat> you know, God leaves the 99, the shepherd one. leaves in 99 and, go, and goes after the one. Excellent, And, Bonnie. you know, yeah. And, like, like, let's just be honest. Like, no good shepherd's doing that, actually, <laughs> unless the 99 are safe and secured and fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, because that was his livelihood. That was his economic, like, that's how he put food on the table. That's how he fed himself. So he's not going to abandon, like, literally all the sheep and go after the one. Um, you know, and so I read that as it's a parable. And so it's the same thing as like, God is my shepherd. Well, that is sort of lost on us because we're like, well, we don't really know what a shepherd's like. We can kind mm-hmm. of pretend like mm-hmm. we know, but you and I, we don't really know. Um, and so if we can view it as a parable or as like a metaphor, God is like a shepherd. It becomes a story about like this reckless love that God really does care and God really pursues. Well, in that sense, if, if it's a literal leaves a 99 and just goes hard after the one, then it would be worth it to save one baby and shame the rest, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's a parable about this reckless love that God follows somebody and comes alongside them in their journey and that cares about them and knows them individually, mm-hmm. then shame is never a part of that equation. 
You right. know what I mean? Right. It, it, so, it's almost yeah. it almost assumes an either or that, yes. that I don't know yeah. that I would grant. Right. Exactly. That that if I if in order to save one baby, now again, I mean, if you're dealing with somebody who's like, dude, this is freaking murder, right? I mean, right. I'd shame I'd shame uh, ten Nazis, you know, to go after Hitler. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, in one sense, I get the calculus on that side of it. I totally do. But I still think that there's a way to save the life of the baby um, and or by treating the mother with all the dignity and respect of an image bearer, too. Right. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if the more effective. And so if you're going to use effective to make the argument for doing that, then I maybe can use the effective argument back to say, well, it, it, had we had we protested in Jesus-like fashions when this thing first got going, perhaps we wouldn't have we wouldn't be where we are now. Perhaps in the case of the LGBTQ community, if we hadn't been so horrible and so horrific and so alienating, perhaps we wouldn't have um, the current cultural climate we're in. I mean, I, I, I wonder if you couldn't advance that same argument on I, this subject. No, that's of what I was going to say. Like, what if we had been so uh, passionate and so dead set on saving that woman's being, that woman's mm-hmm. personhood before she felt like she had to go and make a decision like this, whether it yeah. be on talking to parents, whether it be education, whether it be on birth control, whether it be on just like a woman and her worth. Whatever it is, if we hadn't maybe been like from the get go, you know, who knows how that would have changed trajectory. But I do have a problem just in general by anybody, anything that is shaming anyone at the last stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, I -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. I think shame in general is bad, but coming in at the last stage of something when it's like, no, you you don't even know why I'm knocking on these doors. You know nothing about it. True. And so I have a problem when someone comes in and wants to play hero or wants to shame someone or wants to quote change their mind. And I mean, it's the 11th hour there. Right. You know, like there's an entire life that led up that Mm -hmm. we're pretending didn't happen. And so that's where I have an issue because, you know, everything that I felt when we, when we lost the baby, that was an entire life of things that I learned about Mm -hmm. being a woman, about Mm -hmm. sex, about, about God, about having children and how many children and all of that led up to then what made me choose what I chose and what made me feel what I feel after, you know, so that's a whole life there that, so if we're coming in at the last minute as someone's walking into a clinic, I'm not even sure I have a problem with that and going like, you don't even know that woman at all and mm-hmm. what her story mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that's, and I still, Oh, I can just hear the voice, dude, it's yep. murder. Who cares about shaming someone if it's freaking murder? But here, okay, okay, so so here, here, let's let's do this. We should look up statistics and say, what's the percentage of um, depression or suicide or mm-hmm. anything that comes after for a woman? Yeah, right. I guarantee. That I guarantee some this. of our listeners will know this. Yeah, exactly. Because I would say it's very high. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying there is like, oh, I shamed her. She'll get over it because I saved a baby's life. Well, ultimately, no, you didn't, because that shame can easily very much turn into something that takes someone else's life. Do you know what I'm See, saying? And so it's tough here because I don't, I don't think it's I don't fair yet. to say. I don't yet. So you're saying the woman that, that keeps the child and gives the child up for adoption. Are we talking about that woman or the no. woman that has the abortion? The woman that has the abortion. Okay. Okay. Say that again. I misunderstood. Oh, okay. I'm saying that like, so, so you're going, okay, yeah, but it's murder. So I saved one person who cares if those 10 other women got shamed, like they'll be right, fine. Right, right. Like you're basically saying, well, shame is like getting her feelings hurt on the playground. Right. But like I'm saying, if we look at that statistics and we look at like going, okay, I can see from experience, I see what this did to me as some, something that I didn't choose. Right. I can right. only imagine the amount of shame that's already there, but also um, depression, anxiety. Like I said, the way it eats people up, and I'm going. But that's you what don't sin know does. That's what where sin that's does. Lead. 
Yeah, but just okay. Let me be the voice of the dude. Go, go, go for it. Go for All right, it. Let me be. Let me be the voice of, and not this questioner, and certainly not me. Just in general, but a voice. Right. Yes. So the voice that I'm hearing mm-hmm. in my head would say to that, Bonnie, that's yeah. what they deserve. That's the consequences of sin. You reap what you sow. Of course, they should feel guilty. Of course, they should be depressed. They took a freaking life. They they would be nuts if they didn't feel these things. Okay. So, so, you're, so they deserve that? Is that what that I, I think that's a theological way of saying, yes, they deserve it. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, don't I, anyone, I, guess. I don't think anyone would say it that way. But, but if, you know, I mean, I just could hear somebody saying, okay, okay Bonnie, great. You don't want to add to their shame. Well, I, I do. It's murder. They're being selfish. No, I'm saying, what, okay, what I'm saying, though, is that, is it, at what point do you say, well, me shaming them, like, what if, what if that, <laughs> this is really getting into it. What if, what if that shame <laughs> led to depression and then suicide? Okay. Right, right. Where's the line there? Because that's a life loss. Right. So what I'm saying to you is then is it still worth it? You're not saying it to me, Bonnie. You're not saying it to me. <laughs> to the person. I just want to is be it really clear. Is still worth it? Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm just asking. Like at what point are we, yeah. are we or is that person measuring, like how are we weighing this? Oh, totally. Totally. And you know, I can I mean, imagine. That's the question I would just ask. And, and I can imagine the response is, listen, sin always bears fruit, Right. So mm-hmm. you, you make this choice, you are going to suffer the physiological, psychological, and physical consequences of this. And you, and you don't know ahead of time what those are going to be. Why would we seek to alleviate those um, when they serve as warnings to other people? Now, again, no one would ever say it like that, but I think right, that's right. the callousness. Right. And, yeah, and, 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 and where you're pointing out is, well, then you're no longer pro-life because you're not caring about the woman. Right. Right, you're just pro baby. Yeah, exactly. But I, I could just hear, I could hear, I can hear. <laughs> I can't oh. hear it very well because oh, you man. listen better to those that persona <laughs> than I do. <laughs> so I well, tuned it out a bit. Well, yeah, I think you probably had too long ago as a woman trying to teach a, a, the Bible in a in church community. So no, yeah. no doubt, but but. You know, I still, I still, um, yeah, I listen, I listen to those voices and sometimes it, it makes me bad, but, but, but then I'm like, well, I, I'm, if we're going to be, go ahead. I was just going to say, and this, this could totally be so off base and just my own problem. So I'm aware <laughs> of that, but which is fine. But I think, I think part of my reason why I like immediately sort of don't listen is I, I don't like this, um, like hero mentality. Mm. Does that make sense? Like male male to female or non-pregnant to pregnant or no, just, just like going like I screamed and I saved this kid's life. Mm. Like it, to me, it feels, um, it's the same thing I feel about um, when people act to have like a savior complex with adoption. Hmm. It's, it's the same type of thing of being hmm. like I, that, that to me, that feels very self-serving versus like this real goal that they had in mind. And so that just could be me reading into it because of people I've met or conversations I've had. But to me, if you're standing on a street corner or wherever you're standing and your very voice and the way you're handling yourself is shaming people, mm-hmm. then I don't necessarily like to me, I kind of question um, like how much of like other people you have in mind here. <laughs> right. Or is, <laughs> it, or is it an expression of self-righteousness? Yes, exactly. So yeah. I, I do question that as going like, I don't know, because yeah. and only because I, this is like one of those images where like, like, okay, you know, this is this is so random. This is coming to my mind. But you know, that scripture where Jesus is, um, <clears throat> he's fasting and like Satan comes and tempts him and like shows him all the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, if you throw yourself off this cliff, you can have all of this. Um, is that like, 
I've seen it so many times in big ways. And then even in myself in small ways of like, I'm going to throw myself off this cliff and do something crazy as a sign of how righteous I am mm. or to show others how I am. And so sometimes mm -hmm. when that happens, that makes me question it and going like, is that what's happening here? Right. Or is it because you really do think this is the right way? Like, how come we're not having more conversations and less yelling? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. where I get give pause there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And to, to the questioner, I don't know when they say, and I love the quote louder versions of opposing abortion. I, we, I go right. straight to yelling. I'm sure there are a whole bunch of gradations in there. Um, but if you're shaming, so if the result is shame, right? I would think that the, the yelling would be correct. <laughs> on your on your part i mean i'm just oh, saying you know what all I mean? right now yes all right bonnie we're over an hour and oh, okay. we're we're probably in so much hot water <laughs> or at least you are i'm just yeah. i'm just gonna have people email you it's um, um mike whatever they email you at <laughs> <laughs> no bonnie i i'm i'm super grateful that you're willing to share your story and it's so tender to me just because I know you and that's, you know, that, that, that's that big bit of your story is wrapped up in even bigger things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful you, you take time to, to share it and wrestle through some of this stuff. I mean, part of what I loved about that first questioner was, Hey, I listened to you and I don't agree, but I still listen. And, right. and for me, that that's a habit I try to cultivate myself yep. because it's so easy to just, uh, uh, you know, adapt a Twitter feed or an echo chamber to just the things that I agree with and be outraged at everything else. And, well, and that's how um, you make God in your image. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you completely. So yes. I agree. Yeah. So I just, I, I love that. I love that. And, and the goal isn't, you know, isn't to agree with, with me or us. The goal is always to wrestle. If you're a Jesus follower, to wrestle with the scripture, the spirit and the community mm -hmm. to come to your own conclusions on this stuff. We just, we just hope we stimulate conversation. And I feel I have a sneaking suspicion that we did in this case, Bonnie. <laughs> I think so. I think we should accomplish. Now, thank you for having me on and to everybody for, listening, but also just holding that story dear. I yeah. um, get asked to share it a lot, but I don't always, unless I really trust the people in you. So appreciate you being one of those people. Oh, Bonnie, it's, a, it's an honor to, to be with you in all this. All right, Voxers, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace in these days. Until next time, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>